What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Roundtable Sports Podcast. My name is Taylor McLean, and today we're going to go over the Denver Broncos' 20-13 victory over the Miami Dolphins. You know, certainly the spread as well as the records indicated that this game should have gone a little differently. And I know Miami Dolphins fans have been very hopeful with Tua Tungavailoa in the lineup over Ryan Fitzpatrick. And today may have shook your faith a bit, but we'll talk about that. Certainly one of the big reasons I watched this game was kind of to see what happened with the Miami Dolphins and to kind of put an assessment down on where Denver is at at this time as well, because both these teams have fantasy options that are going to matter down the stretch. So we need to take a look at that and what we think is going to happen from here on out. Let's start with the Denver Broncos. You know, when you're starting with Denver, we're talking about Drew Locke, and certainly Drew Locke has seen better days than the last couple of weeks. You know, this season for the Denver Broncos, a big part of it was to evaluate Drew Locke and whether or not he's their quarterback of the future. Denver has been reaching for such things for some time, you know, and it just goes to show you that not everybody drafts Aaron Rodgers after having Brett Favre. It's a long process in finding your quarterback sometimes. It can lead to your team really bottoming out. It can lead to a big rebuild a lot of the times to have to really get your team right. You know, the Cowboys got lucky and drafted Dak Prescott, and so they didn't have to do a rebuild. But the team has kind of suffered in that way because they have players left over from the previous era that they're paying and they didn't really build a young core exactly around Dak. And so it's kind of disjointed and it just goes to show you, like I said, you, when you have a quarterback, that's why they don't go anywhere. That's why people typically hang on to him. No, no matter what the price is at that time, see Kirk Cousins, see Derek Carr, see some of those quarterbacks that aren't quite as good as Patrick Mahomes and his counterparts that are up at the very top, but still get paid somewhat similarly. So you really want to find that big time guy. And I don't think Drew Locke is one of those type of guys that you're going to want to pay. He might be a serviceable fill in on like a championship team that just needs that quarterback to get him over the top a little bit. And then, you know, kind of in a Trent Dilfer type scenario, he definitely has that amount of talent and he has more, than like the Ryan Finley's, the backups, the Chase Dan. I like him more than Chase Daniel, stuff like that. But still, it doesn't seem like he is a franchise quarterback to me. It's just a lack of overall arm strength, and then it doesn't seem like he's a great decision maker already. And while that'll come with time and he'll get better and better as long as he gets NFL seasoning with that, it still doesn't lead me to believe that with a lack of arm talent overall – that this is a situation that Denver's going to want to invest in when it comes time to pay him. And it doesn't seem like the current administration really has that much time as far as, you know, not getting fired by Denver to really wait that out and really get a good quarterback. So they're in a tough situation and it's going to be hard to know exactly what Denver's going to do. The team is too overall talented to really truly bottom out. They've already won too many games to really get down in the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And while there'll be other quarterbacks in the first round, you just hate to see this for Denver. It would have been a really big deal to have Drew Locke work out 
and have them really push this lineup because they have pieces everywhere. And with Garrett Bowles playing better on the outside, on the left tackle, I mean, it's just been a better situation for Denver. It just hasn't worked out with the Drew Locke part of it. So bummer, definitely a bummer, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, it's nothing set in stone, and he is playing through a rib injury. So it's not a great situation for Denver, but like I said, it is what it is. And we'll use the rest of the games to kind of evaluate this out, you know, see if he can kind of make more decisive decisions and work the ball down the field. It's also unfortunate that Cortland Sutton was lost for the year. I'd like to see what they could do with somebody with a little bit better catch radius and somebody with the ability to go up and get the ball. You know, the options that Drew Locke has are fine, but at the same time, it just would have been interesting to see what he had with Cortland Sutton over the top of all these options, kind of pushing them down the depth charts a bit to make them more ancillary weapons where I think it would be easier to shine and take some of the pressure off the rest of the offense. Now, I don't think anybody was counting on Drew Locke for much outside of like a best ball type quarterback where maybe he goes off on a certain day. But, you know, if you're looking at fantasy, he's probably not going to be all that predictable as far as when he's going to produce. And it's probably not going to be top top end production at that point anyway. So it's not something I'm counting on down the stretch, regardless of the schedule, especially with New Orleans up next you know, New Orleans really got after Atlanta. And really, Denver's line is kind of on par with Atlanta's anyway. So I don't see that being a matchup I would be targeting in the first place. Then you've got KC, Carolina, Buffalo, and the Chargers down the stretch. You know, no real tasty matchups that make me think that I'm going to be trying to start him over anybody at that point. So unless it's a two-quarterback league where you have to have him, I don't think it's a situation you're targeting. And that goes for the pass catchers as well. Although I will say, although I really like the talent on Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy and Noah Fant, that's the other big problem is I like the other options. I wish Cortland Sutton, like I said, was over the top of them. That would make this a very talented receiving core. But they're kind of young. I also like K.J. Hamler, too, by the way. And Vanette. I mean, they've got options here. That's the biggest problem with the Drew Locke part of it is, man, you'd think with these options that a quarterback – could really get something done. And I think John Elway did a good job of setting him up for success in that way, despite losing Cortland Sutton. It's just how it's worked overall without Drew making these decisive decisions and really able to push the ball as well down the field. It just hasn't worked so much. And it doesn't make me want to count really on any of the Denver options. It's been kind of up and down for Patrick, Fant, and Judy. Um, Fant, maybe I'm a little bit more into just because the tight end position is a little bit more bereft of options. And he definitely looks healthy now and was running fast and caught a really big pass for them down the stretch. So I like the way they're using him a bit. But at the same time, with the lack of upside, it still doesn't make me excited about Noah Fant. It's more that I'm thankful to have him because there's nothing else, if that makes sense. Like I said, with Tim Patrick and Judy, I'm just not excited as far as their prospects down the line, especially next week. I want to keep watching Drew Locke. I hope that he's able to show me something, and I hope that he actually does have NFL chops because the more NFL quarterbacks there are in the league, the more interesting the film is to watch for me. So it's a selfish endeavor on that end. But I also like Denver. They have a really passionate fan base, and I want good things for them. I find myself rooting for them. Now, something that was working today with the team getting up 
on the Dolphins and certainly trying to put them away was the rushing attack. The big thing for fantasy purposes, there are two really good backs in Denver, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. Now, neither one of them are top 10 per se, but at the same time, I do like the way that both of them are running. Philip has a bit more speed, so it's a nice compliment to Melvin having a little bit more power, even though Melvin looks healthy and was running with plenty of speed today. So I like the way that looks. The thing is, Melvin's getting the goal line touches. So that's definitely what makes him the running back to own in the Denver backfield. They're also paying him a good deal this year and next year. So they're definitely going to use him. But I do like the way that Philip Lindsay was running the ball. Absolutely. Now, Melvin has, hasn't been as involved in the passing game like you would like. So if Denver gets down, that may affect his overall upside. But I got to think it was just a question of the game flow today. But it has been a trend where he hasn't really caught all that ball, many balls since he caught six the other day. So it is a thing that you got to be aware of. With Philip Lindsay in tow, that's kind of what pushes Melvin down into more of a flex play and less of a running back to play. You know, he got the two touchdowns, but, you know, if the game goes differently and if Miami is able to scrape something together on offense and push this team, there might not be so many running attempts. And when he's splitting them with Phillip Lindsay and, and Philip Lindsay could potentially get passing work as well, it's just not a great scenario down the stretch. Now, if one of these running backs went down and can consolidate some of the work, that would push them more into the running back two situation, whether it was Melvin or Phillip. So you want to have them rostered, absolutely, and you can use Melvin as a desperation running back to or a flex and then have Phillip Lindsay as more of a lottery ticket should this go down because Denver knows they need to lean on the running game. It's more of a need than a wanting to have balance thing for them. So they are going to try and establish that more than other teams might. Let's switch over to the Miami Dolphins. You know, I think everybody had been hopping along the Tua train, and I was right there with him. But I had noticed that he had been getting a short field a lot of the time with these touchdowns and with these drives. I mean, he started drives six times last week inside of Chargers territory. So with the Dolphins' defense setting him up, with the Dolphins getting ahead because of defensive touchdowns and special team touchdowns and the like the last couple of weeks, it's put Tua in a better situation to succeed. And neither one of those teams had quite the rush that Denver brought today. And neither one of those teams had quite the rush that Denver brought. You know, Chargers were without Joey Bosa. That really takes a lot of the wind out of their sails more than a lot of teams would because he is just that good. But, you know, Tua had looked a lot more accurate and a lot more comfortable in those games. The thing was... He wasn't counted on so much to move the offense down the field on long extended drives. And it was really apparent today that there's still a lot of holes in the Miami line. They certainly have a lot of work left to do to try and shore up that line. Austin Jackson just kind of looks fat out there and does, hasn't really done much for me. I don't really like Eric flowers either. So it's a situation to avoid as far as the offensive line goes. And when that's the case, you know, it make it kind of takes the upside off of Tua that you could have, you know, if he was actually getting time. 
you know, he's not really making decisive decisions a lot of the time. He is holding the ball. He doesn't have especially great wide receiver options either getting loose for him. So while he's not seeing the field quite like we'd want him to for a seasoned pro, we got to remember this guy's a rookie. He's not going to be as decisive as he could be. And when you have that line issues, you know, it's kind of an aberration that Joe Burrow had been getting the ball out the way he had. He had been making quick, decisive decisions, and the coaching staff had been setting him up to do so. Tua hasn't had to do that same thing. They've been able to establish the run a little bit better. They've been able to kind of put him in positive game script by having the ball so far down the field. So today was what I've been looking for as far as getting a feel of what he was going to do when he was from behind, what was going to happen when they were getting after his ass a little bit. And, you know, he responded with a huge sack total with inaccurate passes down the field and really disjointed plays and drives. So certainly you got to tap the brakes a little bit if you're Miami as far as him being ready to be a quarterback one in fantasy and uh, really somebody that you want to lean on in real life as far as him throwing the ball 40 times. I don't think he's quite ready for that, especially behind this line. I put it more on the line than I do Tua. I'm especially disappointed, like I said, in the left side, and I just want to see more from them. They tried to address it, but it was not a situation when you trade Laramie Tunsil that you can just address this right off the bat. Although with the draft pick shaping up the way it's shaping up, I think they'd make that trade again. And certainly Miami does have a good amount of draft picks coming to them. So they just need to keep building. And really, I think taking Tua out was, yes, they wanted to move the ball more quickly down the field and they try, wanted to try and attack with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I get that when Tua's accuracy down the field was really off in this game. But at the same time, I think they still have to stick with Tua because I didn't see anything from Ryan Fitzpatrick that made me think that that makes this team an instant contender by having him back there. It's still the same offensive line. He's still having to fire under pressure and while he's more willing to go down the field he's also more willing to get the ball picked and it doesn't play as well as the conservative style they want to play with that defense you know they played good defense today this the offense just couldn't really produce enough and then when Denver was able to run the ball like they were on them it just wasn't a great scenario especially when Miami's strength is the corners and pass defense So bad matchup for the defense, bad matchup for Tua overall. So Denver got over on him today. And, of course, they've already come out and said that Tua is going to start the next game in a get-right game versus the Jets. I want to see what they do there. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot more positive game script with what they've got going on on offense in in New York. So, And, of course, they seem pretty committed to losing all their games, so I'm guessing – that that's probably going to happen at this point. I guess it's just a question for betters on, on how much. And it will probably be a lot m- less after this game, so good betting on that. But like I said, Tua will get right on this. He definitely has shown zip and accuracy on a lot of his passes. You know, not today as much, but still I see flashes of it. And when the game slows down a bit and when they improve everything around him, I think it'll be a situation to target long term. It's just right now I don't think it's going to be a situation in fantasy that you're going to want to play with depending on the matchups. Now, next week, certainly you may want to get cute and try it again, but I'm guessing everybody felt felt a little burned from that after this week. But like I said, 
plenty of NFL upside. I think today was more about just not getting him killed behind that line more than anything. You know, like I said, there was under duress and I didn't like the way they were pass blocking. So we'll see what they do with it next week. And like I said, I don't think it was a situation a lot of people were counting on for fantasy anyway. And I still see the things that I saw in the other two weeks. It's just, he needs to work on his accuracy down the field. We'll see if it's a situation like Baker Mayfield where he's having a little trouble getting it down the field. So it's not quite as accurate as it is, you know, in the intermediate term where he's a ninja. We'll see. But uh, I don't see them, and by them I mean Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua being people I'm looking at at fantasy going down the stretch anyway. Especially with Casey, New England, Las Vegas to end it up. You know, New York Jets and Cincinnati, those are sweet matchups, and I'm looking forward to them having a little bit more positive game script for Tua and the team overall. But still, I don't know that that's something I'm going to be looking at quarterback-wise unless I'm desperate, but just because of the volume too. They're probably not going to have the volumes of passes for Tua that you would want to really push him into quarterback value when he's not a prolific runner. He can run, but he's not prolific at it like Kyler. Speaking of running, let's talk about Salvan Ahmed. You know, it was exciting for his prospects to see that he was in on about 85% of the snaps today. You know, the biggest thing that I was worried about with him after taking over last week was, first of all, what happens when Matt Breida comes back? And second of all, would he be involved in the passing game? Because he wasn't very involved last time out. So I wanted to see how that was going to work for him. Now, certainly it, now certainly it wasn't a dominant performance by any means. But the fact that he dominated the touches and had five catches for 31 yards does give me some hope for him because I like my running backs to be insulated from game script that they're involved, whether the team is passing or throwing, and they seemed more willing to get him involved in the passing game today. So while I don't like that he didn't get in the end zone and he didn't get as many touches as he could have, I like that he fended off Brita. Brita only got the two carries and he was involved in the passing game. And when he has these two matchups coming up of the New York Jets and Cincinnati, Those are very positive game script games for him where I got to imagine he's going to get up and they're going to be running the ball. So I like that for him going forward, but I don't like it as much. Kansas City is susceptible to the run, and so is New England. And so is New England, so that's nice. But Las Vegas is a little bit better than that, and I just don't see the Miami Dolphins getting up on those teams, maybe New England, but not getting up on those teams so much where they're able to dominate with the run for him. So it does kind of cap his upside a little bit as far as the fantasy playoffs go. And I got to imagine if you still care about fantasy football and are listening that you are probably going to make the playoffs at this point. So we'll look for that. We'll see if Salvon can kind of paper over and be a flex, maybe even a desperation RB two. But uh, I do like that he had a bigger target and carry share today and snap share. So we'll see what he can do with that, especially in these next two games. Because he has NFL talent, not overwhelming NFL talent by any means. He's not Saquon jumping off the screen or even Miles Sanders jumping off the screen. But still, he absolutely has something. And when they're using him the way they're using him, I like to see that. Now, the other thing with the running back situation is Miles Gaskin is going to be eligible to come off of IR. So you want to monitor that because he absolutely has more talent than any of them. And if they put him back in there, he's got to get a lion's share if he actually is healthy. So I would be wary of that as far as the Ahmed prospects go. But if you picked him up and the trade deadline's gone anyway, 
doesn't matter. You're kind of riding him for what he is. And I can tell you that without Gaskins back in there, it looks like he's going to dominate the touches and be usable to this point. Now, with the passing game being down, it didn't make for very useful days for anybody out of, outside of Devontae Parker. You know, Parker led the team in targets. He had a 21-yard catch, so that was nice. He got the TD on the short pass from Tua. The good thing about Devontae and Tua is Tua does look for him in the end zone a bit. And it is pretty clear that Devontae Parker is their best option as far as the receivers go. That's quite clear. Jakeem Grant has something, but it's not overwhelming NFL talent. It's more just the speed. Because of his size, he is a little diminutive out there, so it is what it is. But Devontae absolutely has NFL talent. I don't like that they're having to pay him as much as they're having to pay him for what he is. But for fantasy purposes, you know, Fitz probably is a better fit for him because he throws it down the field more. But I do think that Devontae can succeed with either of them. And I got to think that he's going to do something the next couple of weeks. He's the most likely option to do something. Mike Gesicki also has a little bit of something and was targeted well. But, man, with the inconsistencies of the offense, it's hard to trust him too, even in the tight end bereft kind of market. I love the way he looks, and if it was a higher volume situation and he was more consistently targeted, I would be all in on Mike Gesicki. He looks like a huge wide receiver with just enough bulk out there, and they're not asking him to run block, so what does it matter? So good matchups, and certainly matchups, they're going to have to throw the ball for Devontae Parker and the rest of them, but I just don't know how much I'm trusting them. Even with Devontae getting a couple of touchdowns recently, it certainly makes them a higher standard deviation than some of the other situations. And really when they're most successful is when the defense is putting them in situations to succeed. So it's definitely something where it makes it a little bit harder to predict for fantasy owners, but it is what it is. I like the talent there and I just want to see them keep putting more offensive linemen and more passing game options around to a, and really, like I said, probably upgrading on Ahmed, but while he has enough for now, I do want to see better weapons around to it to really get a feel kind of like what Denver has done to really get a feel for what Drew Locke has, see what Tua has. And once again, the game is going to have to slow down for Tua a bit and they're going to have to give him more time for him to really do something. Well, that's what I've got for this game. I look forward to watching what these teams do down the stretch, even even with Denver probably being out of the mix as far as the playoffs go. I want to see how they perform. Like, listen, subscribe, and of course, download. Apparently, even if you listen to the podcast at this point, it doesn't count unless you download. So let me know that you're there. Give me a download, and I'll keep bringing the content, and we'll keep bringing the pain to the rest of the fantasy owners in your league. Appreciate your time today. Have a great rest of your day.